Hi, welcome to the New Story Church podcast. We hope that this week's message encourages you and brings you closer to Jesus. So, spiritual gifts. Paul says, I don't want you to be unaware. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning spiritual gifts. I don't want you to be uninformed. And I know that this is complicated. This is complex because depending on your background or what you were taught in church, you were probably heard of many different things about spiritual gifts. And for some reason, when it comes to the work of the Holy Spirit, spiritual gifts have been one of the most divisive things, divisive elements within the church. But the Spirit desires unity. In fact, Paul writes in Ephesians that we have one Lord, one faith, one Spirit, one baptism. Like, there should be unity within the body of Christ. So instead of being divisive, let's be united. And at the end of the day today, some of you might have some different feelings about the Holy Spirit than what I share today. That's okay. We can still be brothers and sisters in Christ. High five one another and say we are moving forward. But I would ask this of you. I would ask that instead of going in today's message saying, this is what I believe about the Holy Spirit, just holding on to it so tightly and closely and saying, I'm just going to look to see where I disagree with Scott and what they're teaching at New Story Church. I would ask you instead to have an open hand, open heart, open mind and say, maybe there's something I'm missing. Holy Spirit, please speak to me. that's, That's just the ask I would have for you today. Because I believe that every one of us has a spiritual gift and we are not to be unaware when it comes to spiritual gifts. In fact, my encouragement for us this week and next week is this, is that you would grow in your gifts. That you would grow in your gifts or your gift or your gifts. However that starts to look in your life, that you'd begin to grow in your gifts. The understanding of your gifts, how you use your gifts. I want us to move forward together in this to grow and understand our gifts. And I get it. Some of you, you, you know, you were at church one time and you took a spiritual gifts test and it told you that you should start doing something like serving in children's ministry. And you went down and you're like, I'm about to pull my hair out right now. What happened? If that's what spiritual gifts are, I want nothing to do with it. Sometimes spiritual gifts, they're they're not always 100%. The the spiritual gifts tests are not 100% accurate. They didn't do them in the scriptures. So if it didn't work for you, that's okay. Don't be afraid of it. Some of you, you grew up in a setting where it felt like people were saying, you got to have this gift, you got to have this gift, you got to have this gift. And you were like, that gift doesn't seem to be coming to me. So now you're a little bit hesitant to even talk about spiritual gifts. But we're going to jump into this. We are going to cover a lot of ground today. If you don't normally take notes, I would ask that you take notes. If you do, your your hand is going to be a little bit tired at the end of the service because we're taking notes. But we have a lot of ground to cover in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 as we talk about what are spiritual gifts and how do they work. So Paul says in 12.1, I don't want you to be unaware about spiritual gifts. Then in verses 2 and 3, which are not on the screen, he starts to talk about how some people are cursing the name of Jesus in Corinth, in the church at Corinth. And so what we believe is, since he keeps it within the realm of spiritual gifts in 12, 13, and 14, that some of them were actually misusing their gifts to curse the name of Jesus. I know that sounds really strange and bizarre, but it's what they were doing. Their gifts were not about others, they were about them, and they were misusing the gifts. And then Paul goes to explain what exactly spiritual gifts are in verses 4 through 7 of chapter 12. He said, now there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things and all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. I'm going to read that again. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Paul says, each one of us, we give the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So I would define spiritual gifts this way. This is the definition that I was putting together this past week as I was praying through this. Spiritual gifts are supernatural abilities given to you for the good of others. If you're writing down your notes, say spiritual gifts are supernatural abilities given to me 
for the good of others. Every single one of you in Christ has the Holy Spirit. When you've decided to give your life to him, you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, and there's a supernatural gift or gifts that he has given to you. And it's not for you, but it's actually for the good of others and for the building up of his church. Whether you realize it or not, whether you found it or not, whether you discovered it or not, you have a gift. Some of us have more than one gift. We have gifts given to us by the Holy Spirit that are for the building up of the church. So then in verses 8 through 11, Paul gives a list of gifts. We're going to read that in just a moment. But after that, in verses 12 through 14, he gives us this beautiful picture of what our gifts are capable of doing when we use them properly and we see them through the proper light. He says this, For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. He said, whoever you are, wherever you're from, whatever your status is, we are all made one in the spirit. See, spiritual gifts, the supernatural abilities that have been given to us by God, they're not meant to devalue, they're meant to bring value. They're not meant to bring rivalry. They're meant to bring restoration. That's the intention of them. Not to put others down, but to say no matter who you are or where you're from, this, is, this really builds on this concept that every single human being was created in the image of God, which means that every single human being inherently has value, but they also bring value with the gifts that they've been given. Whether you realize it or not, whether you see it or not, you have a gift that has been given to you by God that others need within the church. Every single one of us has a gift. So that, that leads us to our next spot. We all have different gifts. Every single one of us has different gifts. And this is where things start to get a little bit complicated. Because in the scriptures, we see four different places where there is a list of gifts. Just so you know, this next bit here, I know we're talking about the Holy Spirit, so you're probably thinking, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. We're going to be preaching and yelling because the Spirit is like wind, and he's like, oh, it's beautiful, energy. But I, we're actually going to do a little bit more teaching this week because I really want us to get some clarity on what spiritual gifts are, and I want to talk about some of the gifts that sometimes cause confusion for people or cause confusion within the church. So there's going to be a little bit more teaching today. He says, because for, for, we all have different gifts, and there are four different places where we see a list of gifts. We see it in Romans chapter 12. We see it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Ephesians chapter 4, and 1 Peter chapter 4. In each of those four places, we see a list of spiritual gifts. Here's what's interesting about those four places. In none of those four places are the gifts that are listed 100% identical. We see some identical gifts, but none of the lists are 100% identical. And none of them claim to be an exhaustive list of gifts. And that's an encouragement even to me and to, to what happens here at New Story. Because in those places in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 4, none of them mention music or worship as a gift. But you can't tell me that what our worship team does here on a Sunday morning when they're leading us into a place of worship for God is not a supernatural ability given to them by God for the good of the church. That's, and that's what these gifts are. So none of the lists claim to be exhaustive. So some of us, we're piecing, we're learning, we're trying to grow together. And then within them as well, we, we very rarely see 
a dictionary definition for the gifts within the scriptures. So that's why this sometimes I think gets a little bit complicated. Paul doesn't write the gift of service. Here's what service is, and then gives you a definition. Now we can kind of figure that one out. So what is service? Like, well, Jesus said that he came not to be served, but to serve. All right, we can kind of piece that together. But it's really complicated at times when we're like, we don't have a dictionary definition of what exactly. So we as the church work together to try to see the gifts in one another, try to see the gifts that work within the scriptures and figure out what exactly do these gifts look like. So Paul goes on to write this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 through 11. We're actually jumping back from where we were in 12 through 14. He said, for to one is given the word of wisdom through the spirit and to another, the word of knowledge, according to the same spirit to another faith by the same spirit, and to another gifts of healing by one spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. So Paul's like, hey, he's distributing to each one individually just as he wills the different gifts. And it's within this passage that we begin to see some of the gifts that are considered to be more controversial today. And there are different churches with different positions on these gifts. And people said, where does New Story stand with these gifts? And so I just want to give some clarity on that today. And I'm also going to give some clarity as to why we have the position that we have. But once again, if you have a different position, we love you in the name of Jesus. And we have respect and charity for those who might see things a little bit differently because we are one in the body of Christ. And we are not going to use this as a point of division, but we're actually going to say, no, we are mature enough to disagree on some things and still be unified in the name of Jesus because we are the body of Christ. That's what we're going to do. Amen. All right. So the th three of the gifts I want to talk about in this passage are considered to be a little bit more controversial. There's a number of them in that passage, but I want to talk to you about the word of knowledge, prophecy, and tongues. Word of knowledge, prophecy, and tongues. And what exactly is the word of knowledge? And once again, there's not like this clear dictionary definition of here's what the word of knowledge is. But as far as I can tell through, through what I've seen within my own life and through what I've been able to read and look at within the scriptures, the word of knowledge is this supernatural ability where some people have this gift of knowledge. Some of you know somebody like this. When you talk to them, it's like they just know things. And you say, how did you know that about me? Some people, they were gossiping about you. That's how they know that about you. <laughs> but some people, they have this innate ability to just know and see what's going on. And they have a word of knowledge that's been given to them by the Holy Spirit to speak into your life. Now, the abuse of this gift would be if somebody were to say, oh, I have the word of knowledge. And they use it all the time to boss people around and try to control other people. That's the abuse of the gift. It's not for you, it's for others. But the word of knowledge is this supernatural ability to say, to, to, that some people have to see things and to be able to say things and know things that other people may not always necessarily know. And I know that sounds kind of weird or a little bit strange, but we see this at work within the church and I feel that I even know people who have this gift. The ability to speak a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom or sometimes a word of discernment. And some people will say, I have a word from God to share with you. And then other people will say, no, you don't have a word from God. The Bible is the word of God. And I'll just say to that, hey, if the word that is being shared aligns with the word of God and aligns with Christ himself and it fits the nature and character of Jesus, then let's move forward within that word. But if it's a word that contradicts the nature and character of Jesus and it's meant to serve you and not serve others, then we are going to avoid that. But there are some people who have this special gift, this special ability to see things and know things. Then there's the gift of prophecy. 
And this one also gets a little bit weird and controversial at times too, because we, instead of allowing the scriptures to inform how we see prophecy, we allow fantasy movies and sci-fi films to inform how we see prophecy. Star Wars, you know, the prophecy regarding the chosen one, Anakin Skywalker. They ended up not being the chosen one and Disney ruined it. But anyway, so the prophecy. And when we look at the, the role of the prophet in the Old Testament, which is not necessarily the same as the spiritual gift of prophecy, but we can see some overlaps. The prophet or the prophecies that we see in the Old Testament, there are some that are messianic prophecies regarding Jesus. Psalm 22, Isaiah 53 regarding the crucifixion. But oftentimes with the role of the prophet, they aren't as much predicting an unknown event in the future as much as they're just saying, hey, if you guys keep doing this, then good things are going to happen for you. But if you keep doing this, then there are going to be consequences and bad things are going to happen to you. The prophet is the person who has the ability to boldly speak truth and see where you are going or a group of people is going based off of the trajectory of their life. The prophet has the ability to say, if you keep doing this, good things will happen. I can see it coming. You're making wise choices. And they will boldly declare that and say that. Or they might say, what you're doing is really dumb. And if you keep that up, there will be consequences. The prophet is the person you need in your life when you know you're in a relationship that you need to get out of. And you think nobody's going to tell me the truth. And I know I need to get out of it, but I don't want to get out of it. You need that person right there saying, if you stay in this relationship, bad things will happen. I don't want to hear what you have to say. You need that person who's willing to say what nobody else will say. But if you have the gift of prophecy, that does not mean that you have the gift of being a jerk or the permission to be a jerk either. Oh, I just say what I want whenever I want. Okay, no, 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 no. That's not how that works either. It's for building others up in the body of Christ. And there are people I know who they can, they can boldly speak truth. They can see where things are coming and how things are unfolding. It's a gift of prophecy, gift of knowledge, gift of prophecy. And there's tongues. And if you've grown up in church, you know this is the one that everyone gets a little bit in a tizzy about. Oh, this is what I believe about tongues. This is what I believe about tongues. This is what I believe about tongues. You, you people are new. No, we're not, we're not talking about that. That's not what we're talking about, just somebody's tongue. And you're like, what exactly is this tongues thing? Don't go type it in on YouTube. You're going to see some crazy stuff. But anyways, people even joke. Like, let's just, let's just take a deep breath before we get into tongues. Can we do that? <sighs> some of you, you're like, why are we doing this? Because some people have very, you know, this is what tongues are. So, um, you know, people even joke, if you want your tongues language, just say shoulda, bada, coulda, bada, woulda, bada, kia as fast as you can over and over again. Uh, shoulda, bada, coulda, bada, woulda, bada, kia. Shoulda, bada, coulda, bada, woulda, bada, kia. That sounds like tongues. That sounds like what these people do. Yeah, I, I, I get it. I get it. But Paul mentions tongues here. And as far as I can tell, looking at the scriptures, I see three different variations of tongues in the scriptures. First of all, there's what I would refer to as evangelistic tongues. And evangelistic tongues occurs specifically in Acts chapter 2. Some people call it the gift of languages. And this is when people are given the supernatural ability by God to declare the gospel in a different language that they did not previously know. I've talked with missionaries who've been given this gift before. They've been in the mission field, they've been elsewhere, and God gave them the supernatural ability to declare the gospel to a group of people that they did not previously know the language of. It's the ability to use tongues evangelistically to declare the gospel. We see this in Acts chapter 2 verse 6. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. So that happens in Acts chapter 2. 
they become bewildered because they hear each one is speaking in their own language. They're, they're declaring the gospel in someone else's language. That's the evangelistic tongues. We also see a private prayer language of tongues. This, this, these labels are not on screen, and this particular verse will not be on the screen, but Romans 8.26, Paul references prayers that come out in groaning so deep that you don't even have words to describe it or use it. It's a private prayer language of tongues. And Paul references this in 1 Corinthians 14.2. He says, For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. It's a private prayer language. You're not speaking to men, but you're speaking to God. He goes on to say this in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. However, in the church, I desire to speak five words with my mind so that I may instruct others also rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. He's saying, I have this private prayer language with God. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But when I'm in a group of people, I would rather speak, I would rather speak five words that people can understand rather than 10,000 in a tongue. So there's the evangelistic tongues. There's the private prayer language of tongues. Then there's the tongues that can occur as a public revelation within the gathering of the church. Public revelation within the church. You could use that as the third label. Now, this one has instructions regarding it. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 14, 23. Therefore, if the whole church assembles together and all speak in tongues and ungifted men or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are mad? If you're, if you're gathered as a church, but you're in a space where you don't know if unbelievers are there, maybe now's not the time to do it because people might think that you've gone crazy. People might think that you've gone mad. And then he goes on to say this in 1 Corinthians 14, 27 through 28. He said, if anyone speaks in a tongue, it should be by two or at the most three and each in turn and one must interpret. But if there is no interpreter, he must keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God, the prayer language. If there's no interpreter, then don't do it publicly. Speak to yourself and to God with the prayer language that God has given you. But if, but if there is an interpreter present, then we will speak public. And so that, that's why, you know, we don't see this all the time because is there an interpreter? What's going on? But also, we want to clarify that it's the gathering of the church. And did you know that you don't have to wait for a Sunday morning for the church to be gathered, that when two people or three people or four people or five people or six or seven people are gathered together that all believe in Jesus Christ, that's where the church is gathered. The church is there in that space. So we see the private prayer language of tongues, evangelistic tongues, and the public declaration of tongues, but within that, an interpreter is required. That's what we see. Now, as I said, there are some people who would say, that these gifts are no longer around, prophecy, knowledge, tongues, and even some of the other gifts that Paul mentioned. And once again, I know people who love and I love and respect dearly who, who believe that, so I'm not trying to be disrespectful to them in any way, but I would like to share is to, this is why I don't hold that position. Um, this is why New Story Church doesn't hold that position. I'm going to share with you um, a verse that they typically go to to defend this position because one thing that really bothers me is when people say they hold a position but they don't look at like the other side uh, critically and say, what exactly are they saying here? Because typically this group that would say these gifts are no longer around, they're, they're cessationists. And we have people who come to this church who are cessationists. And like I said, we love them dearly and they contribute to the body of Christ. So we're not here to bully or put down or anything like that. 
But here's the passage that they typically go to to defend this point, and I'm going to let you know why I don't necessarily align with that or why New Story Church as a whole does not, uh, in, within our doctrine and belief statement, does not align with that. Here's the passage, 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 10. Paul writes this, Love never fails, but if there are gifts or prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. Keep that slide up there for just a few moments. So typically what what they'll say is say, see, see, prophesy, it will be done away. Tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away with. These things are going to be gone. And then Paul says, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. People who typically defend this position will say that the perfect, or some translations say the complete, or some say the fullness of time, they will say, oh, the complete has come. The perfect has come. The fullness of time has come. So these gifts have been done away with. These gifts are no longer necessary because the perfect has come. I remember I was first exposed to this at a young age, and somebody gave me this 300-page book by John MacArthur called Charismatic Chaos, and I read the entire thing. I was like, this is just really harsh and kind of mean in some ways. And I don't think that everybody who's a cessationist has you know, his tone towards it. But, and I started examining it and thinking about it. And so what we have to ask is this. When Paul says the perfect comes, these things will be done away with. The partial will be done away with. So we do need to ask, what is the perfect? What is the complete? What does he mean by that? Because when that comes, these things will be done away with. And so typically within this group, the cessationist group, they would say that those gifts are revelatory gifts or apostolic gifts. And they will say that the perfect or the completion, based off of the research that I've done, is the completion of the Bible. And so they will say, well, we have the perfect, we have the complete, we have the Bible, so we no longer need those gifts. We have the Bible, so those gifts are no longer necessary. And here are just a few reasons why I I have a difficult time with that position. First of all, I know people with these gifts, but outside of that, I would say this. As as I've read the scriptures, and I try to read them a lot, because, you know, that's what a good Christian does, and I'm a pastor, so it's kind of my job. So I try to to do my best to be, but, you know, so I read the scriptures. In reading the scriptures, I cannot find anywhere an indication that when the Bible is completed, one age of the church ends and another one begins. It's not, I I just, I've I've tried to look. I can't find that when one age of the church ends, that another one begins, also, and I'm going to try to say this with as much humility as possible, but in all of the, the resources that I had as I was searching and, and, and putting together this message this past week, and all of the scholarly resources that I had access to, notice I said I had access to, not all scholarly resources in the world, but all scholarly resources that I had access to, which was a decent amount, not one of the scholars took the position that the perfect was the completion of the Bible. I, I just could not, I, I didn't have access to that position, or I, I couldn't really find it in the scholarship that I had access to. So I, I just, I have a hard time seeing that that's there. Sometimes, uh, like the more hostile cessationists, they'll say things like, well, you know, we should just avoid those gifts because uh, Paul had more problems with Corinth than he did any other church. Now, there is a hint of truth to that statement. Paul had a lot of problems with Corinth. Based off of what we know, Paul most, most likely wrote, four letters to the church at Corinth, and we have two of them. And if you read the beginning of 1 Corinthians, there are a lot of problems happening in, first, in Corinth. 
There were a lot of problems in Corinth. But just because there were a lot of problems in Corinth, that does not mean that we should avoid the gifts, specifically when Paul instructs that, hey, you guys should desire the gifts. And then, here's here's the real one where I was like, I, I just can't go there. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is about spiritual gifts and the purpose of the gifts and the building up of the body, which we're going to get into next week, the building up of the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 13, Paul then starts to talk about love and how the greatest of these is love. And without love, the gifts are futile. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, he starts to write about the instructions for tongues and prophecy and how they function within the church. So 12, 13, and 14 are all overarching, covering this theme and concept of spiritual gifts. And 13 specifically, he's talking about the gifts being driven by love and the purpose and the fullness of love and how the greatest of these is love. I I just have a very difficult time looking at the context of 12, 13, and 14 and saying, oh yeah, he's talking about gifts, 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 and the gifts motivated by love. Oh, all of a sudden he throws this one word in there that's about the Bible. It just doesn't really fit the context. So I believe that we can have the Bible, but still have the gifts at work today. And when Paul uses the word complete or the perfect, when he says when the perfect comes, the partial or these things will pass away, I think he's talking about the end of time. When Christ returns and the completeness and the fullness of love is made present and made a realization for all of humanity. When we will see all of the fullness of his love on display as never before. In his commentary on 1 Corinthians, Gordon Fee said this. He said, at the coming of Christ, the final purpose of God's saving work in Christ will have been reached. At that point, those gifts now necessary for the building up of the church in the present age will disappear because completeness or perfection will have come to cite Barth's marvelous imagery because the sun rises, all lights are extinguished. So these gifts that we have now are for building up one another and pointing towards the eternal. But when eternity has made itself fully present in the return of Christ, when we are using the gifts that are driven by love and pointing towards the one who is love, when, when the fullness of love comes, those things will pass away because they will no longer be necessary. We'll no longer have to just point to eternity because we'll be experiencing the fullness of eternity, the fullness of love, the completeness of love. And contextually speaking, I believe that this fits where Paul's going in 1 Corinthians 13 because he talks about the time when we will see Jesus face to face in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, when he says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully just as I have been fully known. He's referencing the end of time when we will see Jesus face to face and be fully known. Right now we see dimly, and thankfully we have these gifts that allow us to see dimly the future that is in store. But then when we are known fully and fully known, the partial will pass away, but the fullness will be experienced in Christ Jesus. We believe the gifts still exist and they point us ultimately to Jesus. They point us to that which is eternal. But when the eternal comes, when the perfect comes, when the fullness of love comes, those things will pass away. And I want to give one more piece of clarification though, because this is another thing where we get a little bit, we get a little bit tripped up sometimes. Everyone possesses a gift, but everyone does not possess every gift. Everyone possesses a gift, but everyone does not possess every gift. 
Some of you, you've been in settings before. People have told you, you need this gift, you need this gift, you need this gift, you need this gift. Take this gift, take this gift, take this gift. That's not what the scriptures teach. Everyone possesses a gift, but everyone does not possess every gift. Somebody's telling you, you need this gift, you need this gift. Maybe, maybe you just need to speak up and say, hey, that is your gift. I have a different gift, and I'm still trying to find it and discover it. That's your gift. Praise be to he, as we said earlier. But I have my gift, my role, that is meant for building you up. And I would pray that you would use your role to build me up. Because the gifts are not meant to devalue, they're meant to bring value. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says this, all are not apostles, are they? No. All are not prophets, are they? <laughs> no. All are not teachers, are they? We know that one to be true. How many of you have sat under a teacher before who thought they were a teacher? You're like, that was bad. Some of you are saying, that's you, Scott. I'm not coming back to this church. I'm sorry. Uh, all, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? No. All do not have gifts of healing, do they? No. All do not speak with tongues, do they? No. All do not interpret, do they? But earnestly desire the greater gift. He says, hey, not everybody has every gift, but everyone does possess a gift, as we're going to talk about next week. You have a role to play. You have a part. There's a way in which Christ is asking you to contribute to his church, and he's given you a supernatural ability by the power of the Holy Spirit to contribute and become a part of his church and serve others and help others. Amen. Thank you. I got to always rely on my buddy, John, to get people going back here. I love it, John. Thank you. All, all of us have a gift, but everyone doesn't have every gift. And your gift is meant to bring value, not rivalry, but to bring restoration. So that brings us to the question, how do I discover my gift? That's a whole other message. But let me just give you a little piece of where we're going to be going next week. I was just so captivated by this in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 as I was reading this past week. Okay, how are we going to lead into discovering gifts and finding how we've been wired and who we are? And sometimes it's a process. Sometimes it comes quickly. But this passage in 1 Corinthians 14, the beginning of it is so powerful. It says, pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts. It fits the context of 13 as well. That gifts without love, are futile. They're meaningless. And sometimes we flip this around. I'm going to pursue my gift. No, 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 no. Pursue love and desire the gifts. Love comes first because if you have your gifts but have no love, you're just a clanging gong or a noisy symbol, as Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 13. It's meaningless. The gifts are best used for his kingdom purposes when they are driven by love. So pursue a life where we look to serve others instead of serving ourselves. Pursue a life, as Jesus described, greater love has no man than he who lays down his life for his friends. Pursue love, pursue laying down your preference, pursue laying down your life for the sake of others. And instead of pursuing the gifts and hoping that love will come our way, when we pursue love and desire the gifts, that's the order which things work. When we pursue love, when we pursue the one who is love, which is driven by the Spirit, you'll begin to see, oh, wait, I'm operating in my gifts and I didn't even know it. Oh, wait, I had that gift and I didn't even know it. Oh, he gave me that gift and I didn't even see it because above all else, we pursue love. So let's make this the message of New Story Church, that above all else, we will pursue love, that above all else, we will pursue the way of Jesus. And in our pursuit of love, 
we'll begin to discover who we are and who one another is. And in our pursuit of love,